episode 43 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm back. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson, and today's guest is Michelle Freed, remote viewer and producer of Midnight in the Desert, Desert, Desert. You know that old show, Art Bell? Yeah. <laughs> She's got quite the legacy and a responsibility now hosted by Darkness Dave, Dave Schrader. So we talked to Michelle Freed about her remote viewing past, present, and future. It's all relative. So we're going to take a deep dive with Michelle Freed in a moment. But thank you to our sponsor, Feral by Aaron at Etsy.com. Shaman-inspired drums, rattles, and smudge fans. Well, she has such a creative ability here. And beyond the details and all these spirit tools is something magical that erupts as feral by Aaron. The holidays are approaching and gentlemen, I'm speaking to you. Get on Etsy.com and look at the drums. Feral by Aaron. E-R-Y-N. Why? Because you love it. All right, next, Michelle Freed and her intuitive abilities. As I said, our guest today is Michelle Freed producer of Midnight in the Desert, now hosted by Darkness Dave every Friday night. In fact, she has her own show, The After Conversation. We'll call it After Midnight. I'll give her a name of her own show. I don't remember the actual name that she listed for this, but um, looks like a worthwhile listen and a worthwhile guest. Michelle Freed is a remote viewer a disciplined daily remote viewer, in fact, and she's worked with some incredible voices. So what is remote viewing? Well, the quick and short, there is no quick and short. In fact, there's no time at all. But if I were to explain this, remote viewing for dummy style, it's the absence of time, space, locating targets, blind tested targets by one or more people. And what is the target? Well, it's a location that the remote viewer is blind to. And yet they can find out exactly what these targets are. It's a pretty interesting, fascinating conversation that, well, you know, the government's been very interested in all these years. Men Who Stare at Goats. We didn't even talk about that documentary, but if you've heard of this movie, then it's loosely based upon the government's government's interest in understanding psychic phenomena or psychic spies, I think is the down and dirty word for this. But turns out you can remote view for a lot of things, including missing keys, something as small as that, lost objects, lost people. So it's a worthwhile investigation. So Michelle Freed and I strike up a conversation about said topic. So let's join Michelle Freed, as we talk psychic spies in the world of remote viewing. All right, we're here now with Michelle Freed. Hello, Michelle. Hello. All right, thanks for it's- calling into the show here. It all worked out, and uh, it's good to have someone on the phone here that has quite a story, and that's what I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, no, more than a little Hopefully we can go into some detail here about your experience with remote viewing and beyond. And gosh, you're connected to an amazing history of uh, 
uh, radio history really with attached to Midnight in the Desert there. People don't know Midnight in the Desert is attached to uh, the great Art Bell. And if anybody's listening to podcasts right now, your first and foremost influence, if it isn't Orison Wells, is probably the voice mm. of Art Bell and the legacy carried on. He will be missed. But now uh, you're the producer for Dave Schrader's show, Midnight in the Desert. And is that also connected through uh, Dark Matter Radio as well? Yeah, so um, Keith, uh, who who uh, runs or owns Dark Matter Digital Radio, started it with Art Bell when he left um, Premier Radio. So when he retired from coast to coast, he um, decided to work with Keith and they started Dark Matter Digital Radio. And then uh, the anchor was Midnight in the Desert. And, uh, and so, yeah, they had kind of uh, they work together to create it right and i mean i was such a junkie for art art and uh, his voice that when you said that uh, keith was roaming the halls when we we first talked there i remember uh, art mentioning keith and so if anybody's listening and then you remember art bell's conversations about uh Keith being uh, the webmaster that was constantly trolling the hallways that he's still around. So there's still a little bit of legacy he, there and he's a good guy from what yeah. you've, you've told me. He's a good guy. Yes. Um, he, uh, I guess they, they uh, used to call him evil Keith. Uh, and, um, and when I first started working there, I actually was intimidated and thought he really was evil Keith. But then after I got to know him, I realized that he is not even close to evil. <laughs> He's a great, great guy. Um, and I think I'm starting to learn that probably people that call him evil is mm -hmm. because he is a businessman and he doesn't always say what people want to hear. And right. so it's kind of like a parent talking mm -hmm. to their kids, like <laughs> a parent knows what's best sure. and uh, the kid doesn't want to hear it. So they have a tantrum and, and they, and they, call their parents evil or whatever they call them. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. Well, we'll and come... uh, it's, you go ahead. Yeah. Okay. No, I was going to say, it's really great to, I have a really good team. I, I really like, um, uh, it's really great to have a job you love. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's fantastic. And we'll come back and talk a little bit about, uh, dark matter digital network and midnight in the desert here at the end of the show because I have some specific questions about that but I want to know more okay. about Michelle and how you got inside the world and it sounds like pretty entrenched in the world of remote viewing in fact you you teach courses and classes here I've been reading about uh, the butterfly effect and uh, some of the 12-week 12, mm -hmm. 12 courses that uh, you teach. But let's talk about Michelle as far as how you began looking down this road in general. Did you grow up around the world of what we'd call the secret schools? Um, how, how did this all start for you? Well, uh, it all started uh, with uh, my best friend from high school, uh, and we continued to stay in touch. And at a certain point in my life, um, I decided that I wanted to uh, take my kids on a road trip. And so we took the summer. So it was about eight or nine weeks. And we packed up the car with a GPS 
And um, we just drove to the West Coast. And throughout that trip, um, I scheduled that I would meet up with this friend. Her name is Deborah Lynn Katz. And she is she is the author of three books on psychic development. And she also teaches classes. And so I went to visit her. I was, you know, uh, just a stay-at-home mom, just doing my thing. And uh, she said to me as I was leaving the visit, you have to take one of my classes. You know, she's like, you know, you're very intuitive and you have to take a class. And I said, "Uh, I don't don't know about this. I think, you know, for psychic, people have to be born with it. And she convinced me that everybody has it. So I I said, all right, fine. What, What will it hurt? It'll be fun. So I took her class and as the class was going, um, you know, you're on the phone, you can't see anybody and, uh, she really kind of teaches you a couple tools and then you jump right in and I we would take turns reading each other, but we didn't know very much about each other in the class, uh, because she would be talking. So it wasn't like, you know, we were socializing or anything. And so week after week, I was doing these readings and having knowings about certain people that I couldn't explain. Uh, I kept making excuses how I could know it, but some of the information was really um, specific and I would get images and pictures in my mind. Some were symbolic, some were actual And I got to a point where it was exhausting to try to explain this away. I guess I would call myself a skeptical believer. Uh, I walk into it like, all right, you know, change my mind about this, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so one of the classes, um, she said she was into remote viewing and she's like, we're going to do something a little different today. And so she taught us a little bit you know, a little bit about it, just a little taste. And the idea of remote viewing, I don't know how much people know that listen, is that you're completely blind to whatever the target is or whatever we call the secret question. So we have behind the scenes, we create a secret question um, and it could be a location, it could be um, anything. It's kind of surrounded by an intention. So, for example, uh, which I work on missing people, we might have split it up into two questions, and it would be like, um, describe the location of so-and-so, the current location of so-and-so, or describe the current condition of so-and-so. Um, and so, you, as you can see, that question is very specific. Uh, so we have an intention around that question, and then we assign it a random number. The person who's the viewer only sees that number. They have no idea what the question is or, or what their um, mission or project or anything. So we have no idea. Um, so that's what she did. So she just uh, gave everyone in the class to just shout it out a random number. I wrote it down on a piece of paper. And as I was writing it down on the paper, I sneezed. Now, I'm not like, I don't have allergies. It was just a random sneeze. And I continued to do um, my 
session and I was feeling like I was near a garden and there was this and that and plants and I saw like a white picket fence and, and all that. It turned out that the target was actually a tomato plant. Um, they were doing a, a research project and they, um, a scientific a research project where they took tomato plants and they injected one of the plants with a virus and they wanted us to, uh, so she just uh, had in mind one of the plants uh, that had a virus and then that was a number. So she wanted us to do a session to see if that plant had a virus or not to kind of test us. And so um I got a taste of remote viewing in that way. And I, I felt like I did a really, really good job and I felt like it was very much aligned with me. Um, and I wanted to know more. So I just kept, uh, training and, uh, as I was training, it led me to, uh, some of the ex-military guys. So, uh, Joe McMonagall and Buchanan, Russell Targ, um, all are my teachers and, um, my favorite teacher. I love them all. Uh, but my favorite is John Vivanco, um, because he is more, uh, represents the future of remote viewing and where it's going. Um, and doing some cool stuff uh, like Bigfoot and UFOs and along with other serious counterterrorism and things like that. So we've done all sorts of projects like that. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of like the, the start. Right. So, yeah, previous to meeting Deborah, you had no experience even dabbling with your intuition? Well, I was, uh, no, actually, right. I didn't. No, I, I did nothing. I, um, I, I was just going along my life and, um, I did, I didn't even have weird dreams. I never had an outer body experience, um, that I was aware of, but over time, since I kind of like woke up, as you could say, um, I realized that certain things in my life, um, I was doing these things. I just didn't get it. You know, they were, I just, mm -hmm. they were kind of natural courses of life that I didn't really pay attention to because I think people nowadays are just focused on moving forward and, mm -hmm. you know, wake up, go to work, eat your meals, you know, go to bed, wake up again, do it again. And, um, I wasn't really paying attention to these things that were happening all the time. And since, uh, this was kind of the catalyst that woke me up, I guess you could say. And now, um, so many synchronicities and magic, you know, I tell my kids all the time, life is magical. You know, everything is magic. And, you know, whenever something happens, I just reinforce it. Do you see it's magic? Um, and it's, you know, you have to just be awake to see it. Um, otherwise it just passes by. Right. These other things that you mentioned that you just kind of slip, you know, slip by you uh, before you met Deborah, things like what? Things like intuition, uh, things like uh, uh, what? Uh, deja vu. Would you have uh, Mandela effect things happen that you looking back were signatures? Um, They were kind of the, there were actually more things like um, saying things 
saying things that I had no idea where they came from. Uh, I guess it was kind of an innate knowing of things where I just knew things. Like I always knew in the right time what to do. Like if my kid was sick um, and uh, for example, I had one of my kids was very sick and there was a certain point uh, we had to go through all sorts of tests for a whole year. And at a certain point, my knowing said, stop, he's okay. You know, these kind of natural things that people uh, take for granted are that's intuition, you know, knowing that I stopped listening to the doctors because we, we would have been going on and on. Mm-hmm. I just knew he was okay. And I just put a stop to it. And that isn't like me mm-hmm. um, to do. I, I question everything, but at a, it, it's like, I call it the sweet spot. Um, it's that moment where you really don't care what anybody else says or thinks. You just have a knowing that this is right. And um, this is the magic. That's the magic moment, the, the, the sweet spot. And, um, you know, and then there's also different synchronicities where, um, things are met, but if you're sleeping, you don't see them. They just pass you by. So, um, actually this is a a cool story. How I got the job at midnight in the desert, um, is one of these magic moments, um, I was uh, going through a divorce and I was an at-home mom, so I had to start working and my background's in marketing. And I was um, just trying to get my feet wet in the world. And several of my friends in the remote viewing world wrote books and I wanted to help them out and get gigs, uh, you know, radio gigs or TV gigs. So I took it upon myself to call different uh, radio shows and, and just kind of pitch them to get them on. So I came across Midnight in the Desert and Art Bell, and I thought, go big or go home. And I called him up, and I'm like, hey, I got this guy for you. And I talked to the producer at the time for an hour, and he was just really blown away about John Vivanco. And he's like, all right, let me talk to the host, and um, and let you you know we'll get back to you. I said, okay. So time was passing. I think a month went by and I thought, gosh, I'm going to have to work for this. And I was going to follow up. And then in, it was in October, I got a phone call from Heather, who Heather Wade, uh, who ran the show when Art um, kind of took a break. Um, she called me up and she's like, hey, um, I'm so sorry we didn't get back to you. You know, I lost my producer and, um, but I really like your guy. and." something, (laughs) something came over me. I have no idea. It was just, I didn't even think about it. I just, the words hire me came out of my mouth. (laughs) It wasn't a thought. It was Uh just magic. And I said, hire me. And she's like, huh? I said, hire me. And she's like, uh, well, uh, well, let me, um, okay, uh, well, you know, she was dumbfounded and desperate. And I took advantage of this moment. Like, you know, I can do this. And she said, well, let me give you a week. So in three days, I booked two weeks of shows and Art told her, you better hire her right away. And uh, so that's 
how I got the job. And then on, on top of it, earlier in the day, she told me this later, that she was interviewing somebody for the job. And the person she was interviewing kept calling Heather, kept calling her Michelle. <laughs> and Heather was going, my name isn't Michelle. Why does she keep calling me Michelle? Right. So it's weird that that was in the energy of the day. Michelle, yeah. Michelle, Michelle's uh, going to come. It was almost precognitive for her yeah. that, you know, keep your eyes open. There's a Michelle coming for you. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So that was the, those kinds of things that um, I was paying attention and awake and uh, something just happened. So that, that would be the sweet spot <laughs> that I'm talking about. So, and, and I think a lot of people would realize that happens to them all the time. Yeah, this, uh, boy, you're getting into an interesting area here where, you know, your motives and your intuition, when they're locked together, they seem to resonate out into the world where it affects things, you know, your intentions. Um, I always try to tell, you know, my listeners that uh, they need to understand time differently, but if your intentions mm-hmm. are unpure, they seem to be rejected by the universe. Does that help in the world of remote viewing? Everything, everything, everything is about intention. That is the biggest thing I learned in remote viewing. Um, there's a lot of personal things that I've learned in remote viewing, but the idea of intention, um, everything is surrounded about it. And um, because the way that our mind works in remote viewing is um, Joe McMonagle always says that in order to be a very good remote viewing, in a way, you have to give up everything it is to be human. And what I mean, what he means by that, or what's meant by that, is that um, when we're remote viewing, the way that we work information comes in bits and pieces and and symbols. And because everybody has um, their own, you know, there's a lot of subjective and and things like that. So, uh, and to make the, an example is uh, you just don't know how people uh, see things because everybody's different. So I am also a hypnotherapist and I was working with a client and I was, uh, inducing her into a trance. Oh, we were doing a past life, um, a past life. And uh, I have to take them pretty deep. And so I go through this uh, very, you know, like it's kind of a script, but I go through this and then we start talking about, you know, um, going up into the air. And I uh, used uh, a symbol of a, a rainbow. I had her imagine a rainbow. And, you know, who thinks anything would be dramatic about a rainbow? They're beautiful, whatever. And all of a sudden, she just starts crying. And I'm looking, I'm like, huh? Like, what happened here? It's a rainbow, you know? And um, she just starts, she's like, Michelle, take me out, take me out. I'm like, okay. And I woke her up and, and, um, I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, oh, the rainbow. And then she starts telling me the story about how the rainbow reminds, it was the day that her father died and she saw a rainbow and it was traumatic. And I mean, you know, so people 
because everybody has a different experience in life. They have different uh, symbols in their life and, and, and how they look at things and everything. So when you're remote viewing and, um, you know, we just, uh, we keep things down to a very low level uh, description, very low level. So if something is a bottle, we don't call it a bottle. Um, you know, if something um, like, oh, this kind of very popular example that we use, and it's a great way to drive the point, is if I had an apple and I asked you to describe it, and normal things that people say are red, shiny, round, curved, uh, things like that. And then what if I told you that the target's actually a fire truck? So we don't, we want to make, because a fire truck's red, shiny, rounded. Um, we don't want to get stuck in this idea that red, shiny, round is an apple. We don't want to call it that. We don't want to name anything or use nouns because the way your mind works, it just gets bits and pieces of it. And then, uh, and that's where we gather that information from our subconscious. But then we have to deal with the left brain, the logic that wants to name everything. So when I say giving up everything human, that means that uh, being human is that we want everything to make sense. And there are just too many things out there that don't make sense. And remote viewing is one of them. Uh, we know that it works. We use it in tons of way, ways and it gets us information that we need. But the way it works is completely um, different than, than what we think. It's not, a lot of people will ask me, you know, why don't you just, you know, if it's a bottle, why don't you just say bottle? Well, it's because our left brain and right brain are fighting each other and we're not quite, it's, it's like kind of zooming in into a picture mm -hmm. kind of thing. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know. Right, if, right. Well, how do if, you kind of cripple your left brain and access this right hemisphere more? What techniques are you deploying in order to lean in on the essence, which is, that's what you're describing, correct? Is breaking down these bits of information that make objects or places or times and going into the essence of what these things are. Do I hear you right? Um, well, it, it is partially essence, but we, as you practice, you get more familiar with how you, how you uh, process information. And, um, you know, I practice uh, every single day. I do targets. And the idea is that you just get used to um, certain things that happen to you and there is this and there's this connection with your body um, you'll start feeling things in your body that become familiar and you start connecting information that way the other thing that I do is uh, before we start remote viewing we cool down we call it the military uses that word cool down and at in that time what I imagine is a gauge and the gauge um, I put on the left side and then I move it to the right side. And what I'm doing is turning down my left brain. So it's kind of telling myself, okay, I don't need as much left brain. So let's turn down, down the numbers, you know, bring them down and turn up my right brain. So that's kind of this little uh, message 
so I walk in like that. The other thing is that um, we just the, all the techniques that we learn because it you know you have to take classes to learn how you just have to uh, be okay with things that don't make sense. Things that, that don't, you know, I, I teased all the time, Michelle, uh, you want everything to have a little bow on it. You know, everything has to be nice and perfect, but it's not. It's a messy thing. And your job as a remote viewer is just to report what you get. The job of the analysis is is his job or her job is to make sense of what you get. So, um, and I'll give you another example. We were working on a project and uh, the target. Now I'm just going to remind you that I had no idea what the target was, uh, but for the sake of the story, um, the target was a disaster that's predicted to happen in the Canary Islands. And um, I guess it's predicted that uh, there's going to be something going on there. So uh, this was kind of a, a practice target we were doing. And on one of my pages that I was working on, for some reason, and this is what's so funny about how our mind works, I drew a picture of a bird and I wrote the word canary. So your mind, it's like your subconscious, my subconscious knew that we were talking about Canary Islands, but how it got translated in my head was a bird, canary bird. Because in life, like when someone says Canary Islands, I kind of do think of a canary bird because of the word. So it kind of manifested its way into my session. So that's kind of, so you don't want to get stuck, you know, you don't want to get stuck with that. So on your paper, you would kind of say, okay, canary, canary bird, but you want to forget about that. And just continue doing your session because you don't want to start building up a made-up story based around a canary bird and then start, Mm -hmm. you know, going in that direction. So, yeah, it takes practice. So what is the name of the person or people that hold the target, that know the target, that have the target? What are are they titled as in a remote viewing group? Um, so usually, uh, I guess I would call them a manager, the manager, the project manager, that person. Okay, um, so the project manager. The tasker. They could also be called the tasker. Okay. Um, yeah. So the tasker has the target. They they know certain things that you don't know, but they want to delve deeper into these targets to find out information that they can't know, that they want to know. So how does that work? How do you go beyond the target? Um, so, um, well, there's several, you can do a session by yourself or you can have a monitor and I know you would probably appreciate this one. Um, I, I, a tasker, um, gave me a task and at this time I had a monitor and the monitor position is very, very important. Um, and they have to be very, very careful because they cannot lead you. So what we like to do is have the monitor blind also. So when I was working with the monitor, they did not know the target and I didn't know the target. Um, And then, so there was a third party that gave us tasking. And uh, so with the monitor, they're going to 
push you to uh, look at different things. So for example, um, I'm not going to tell you the target. I think you'll figure out when I tell you how, uh, what I was getting. So the first thing that I started getting was um, a subject. That was first. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling like there's a subject. And then it occurred to me, it's a female. Okay, it's a female. So my uh, monitor said, okay, I want you to stand up. Because a lot of times in remote viewing, we like to embody the target. because, And that's like a whole other thing to talk about. But um, we get a lot of information about things from your... um, nervous system. Um, so that's like a whole nother kind of area to talk about. But, um, so he was engaging me in, in, in my nervous system to kind of get more readings from feeling because we use all these senses and I'm like, okay, I'm standing up. And as I was standing up, I felt like I was humongous. Um, so standing up, I felt very heavy and huge. And he said, okay, touch your body. So I'm touching my body uh, and I'm feeling that it's just enormous. Like my arm, I remember my arm felt like a man's arm. And I, I even said, my bones feel like a, a man's bones, like, but I don't want to say male. I, I feel like I'm a female. Like, like, and I, and I kind of, I thought like a basketball player. So that was my logic trying to make sense out of this, right? I'm thinking maybe I'm a a female basketball player or something. And so he reminded me, just, you know, feel your body, feel everything. Okay. So all of a sudden I start rubbing my arm and I'm, I'm noticing that my arm feels very hairy. I'm like, it feels, I have a lot of hair on my body. And uh, we were going on and on and on. And it, and I, I actually named the target, which I thought it was Bigfoot. And it turned out um, when we were done with the session, it was the Patterson-Gimlin video. The tasking was if it was real. And they wanted to know if it was, you know, a hoax or if it was, if, if it was real. And, uh, based on my session, we're pretty sure that that's real. So, um, because I had no idea what it was and I couldn't, something made me not want to change my mind that it was a male, but all the signs were that it was a male and all, you know, for sure, this is a male, it's big, it's heavy, it's hairy, but I couldn't, I couldn't change it. So to me, uh, in every part of my being, I I believe that's a real, um, that's a real, it's not a hoax. So. Wow. So you take on the, I mean, you feel the essence of what you're remote viewing, what you're targeting, but there's no examples of this ever taking on a physical manifestation or is there where these things actually are, witnessed by other people to have occurred there are some people we are taught at a certain point in uh, our session it goes through different phases phase one all the way up and there are certain points when you're really uh, deep into your session where you can blend with the target so there have been times where we're doing an alien and um, the, the people I work with 
I know this is crazy coming out of my mouth. Yes, we, we remote view aliens. Um, but what we do is um, I know that the people I work with are always giving us benevolent and mm. I feel safe, but I wouldn't work with somebody I didn't know because I don't know what they would target. That's really how powerful remote viewing is. And you just don't want, um, you don't want to not be able to trust your manager or the tasker. Uh, but yeah, we, we, um, we blend with the target. You can also blend or, uh, yeah, you can blend with actual objects too. You can put your body in the position of, you know, a bookshelf or, and then just kind of get more information that way. You know, um, it reminds me of, um, I used to direct musical theater and one of the exercises we did, uh, Stan, Stanislavski's method of acting, which meant that you become the object and then you, um, act like the object. So it's kind of like that too. Where um, if I'm a bookcase, I touch it and it's, oh, it's hard. It feels wooden. You know, I can knock on it, you know, put your hand through it. You know, there's a hole. It's it's solid. It's hollow. You know, you can find out more information. All right. I got to go back to Patty for a second here. If you targeted Patty, there's so many questions that could be asked and perhaps answered here. So was the objective to find out only if it was a hoax or did you target different points and different questions to be asked? Right. So in remote viewing, we want to keep each tasking separate and specific. So that one was just, is it a hoax? Mm-hmm. Or is it is it real or is it a hoax? Mm-hmm. Um, then what you would do is um, you would have another session. What you would do, because you want to stay blind. Um, so what you would do is kind of put it back in the pile of stuff to do and then ask more questions about it. Um, so whatever you want to know, you set up the tasking. Uh, you know, sometimes we have like a whole pot or pot yeah pot of of targets and then we just pick one out and then we just do it so so to do it um, so we to do have a, no idea to do a session how long could it take to do a session like that my sessions are about an hour um i could go longer or i could go shorter mm-hmm. um there are there's another kind of remote view i'm not sure if you're aware of it's called arv and it's associative remote viewing, and they use it for binary targets. So something that uh, could be wagering on sporting events or financials. Uh, so questions that have a yes or no answer, or up and down, or um, uh, you know, winning or losing. And we work on those. Uh, could be like ten minutes or something like. I could do a really quick, um, and I can tell you more about that one. What that area is if you want to well know. Yeah, sure now you did you say to get lotto numbers uh you could use this arv to to do something like that you can use remote yeah there's so many people doing research on effective ways to pick lottery numbers um it lottery numbers is very complicated but um we do know a couple people i know one person who did win um, using remote viewing. Uh, but what we're very successful and we do have three, I did, um, uh, I worked with Deborah, she's my co-researcher and we finished a project where 
we were using ARV and our dreams to predict a future outcome. And it was just, uh, it's going to be published in the Journal of Psychical Research. This, we did 50 trials. And what we did was we set an intention every Friday night to dream about a photo that's going to be shown to us um, after a, a sporting event. So how the project manager set it up is they picked, we were using baseball. So they picked two baseball, you know, a game that's going to be played on whatever day, Saturday. And so it would be the Cubs and the Cardinals, for example. And then she would associate some kind of picture uh, with each team. And they would be completely opposite. Like one would be the ocean and one would be the desert, you know. And then we're told on Friday night to have a dream about the photo um, that we're going to get as feedback after the game is played. So we uh, go to sleep. We wake up. We do a session. We send email our sessions into the manager, and she looks at all our sessions. And if the majority of the sessions have water in it somehow, uh, she'll she'll make a prediction that the team that was associated with the water picture is going to win. And so then she places a bet, puts money. I think she does. I don't know if you've heard of five dimes, uh, but she'll place a bet with five dimes. We, we bet like, you know, like a dollar, five dollars. Uh, it was just for research. Uh, we weren't looking to win millions. Of course, that would have been nice because <laughs> we did really well. <laughs> um but um, so then the game's played, Cubs win, they send us uh, the picture of the water. So that's our feedback. And so essentially what we're doing is we're, our, our subconscious is going into the future and we are remote viewing the picture that, that happened in the future and we're remote viewing it in the past. And so to close the loop, they'll send us the feedback. And then uh, we just study that picture. So it's like sending information back. So uh, we, I had, a, I think it was like a 62% hit rate on that. Um, so it, it was a significant uh, research. It's something, we don't know how this is all happening, but we know it is happening. And lots of people are mm. doing research on it. So that's just one example. So the more, just like a sport, the more you practices, the more accurate you are. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it is like a bell curve because you can get burnt out too. So, um, you know, there are some people that believe you cannot get better, but I, I know that I have gotten better. So, um, you know, there's just, I don't know. Um, I think, I believe you can, you keep practicing at anything in life mm -hmm. and you get better at it. So, you just start to learn who you are and, um, and there's, it's so unlimited what remote viewing can do. We've experimented on personal things. Um, somebody tasked me, uh, I was moving from Chicago to California and they, and I didn't know this and they tasked me on the house or the place I'm going to end up living in California and so here I'm doing my session and getting this, um, you know, kind of area and it was like water and mountains and all this stuff. And so then I found out 
that that's what I was um, remote viewing. And it was about probably six or eight months before I moved. I completely forgot that I did that session. And I came to California and I had, I was living with cousins and had no idea where I was going to live. So I got here and I'm looking around and it was really hard to find something. Finally, I found something and moved in. And uh, this person who tasked me said, oh my gosh, you should go look at that session you did. So I did. And it was incredible because uh, in this session, I had um, two mountains and then water nearby uh, in a certain way. Like I drew a picture. And if you take that picture and you look at where I live now in the distance, Mm -hmm. it looks the same. It's like, what? I can't believe I did that. <laughs> that was right. crazy because I live in between two mountains and there's wa- there's like a lake nearby. So it was crazy. Yeah, that was awesome. I want to dig into intentions a little bit more. Uh, I think it's such an important part of this whole thing. And it sounds like you do too, not only to focus in your intentions on a target, but your intent in general, Michelle, if you actually believe what you believe to be really real, i.e. remote viewing, your intentions in everyday life will be affected by the work that you're doing. And it couldn't help, I would think, to make you a more authentic, real person experiencing truth in general 24-7. Because if your intentions are slightly off, then I mean, our our motivations are to slightly lie to ourselves and others all the time, but you cannot do that. So how has this affected your worldview? Okay, so an everyday experience that can happen to anybody, they can be small or big. Um, and this is just, this example is a small everyday thing. My daughter uh, bought a car and she... Um, the inside was filthy and the seats were, um, just stained and there was dust and dirt. It was stinky. And she only had a certain amount of money to have it cleaned or detailed. And she called all these places and they said it was going to be close to $200 to do all this work. So she compromised and decided, okay, I'll just do what I can afford So we went to the place and um, she originally was going to just pay 18. And then of course they talked us up to the $50 deal where they would just vacuum and kind of wipe down everything. And so she said, okay. And so we left, got, got a cup of coffee and we came back and um, I, I noticed inside it was, it wasn't really done well. And, um, my mind thought, you know, there's like a lot of cars here and they're busy and this and that. And, and I just kind of said, you know, I'm just throwing it out. Like I just had this understanding and love and I was not mad. I was, um, perhaps a little disappointed and I called the guy over and I said, Hey, you know, you know, there's still some dirt in here and, um, and, you know, basically can they just come and, and do a little more? And the guy's like, Oh, hold on one second. And he calls the guy over. He says, Hey, 
I want you to do this car, give them the works. And he ended up giving us a $200, you know, detail and, uh, it was only 50 and, uh, he wouldn't even take a tip from me. I was trying to give him a tip for helping us out. And, um, and that's to me again, a magic moment. And I think how that's connected to intention is that, I didn't approach this guy from the intention of how could you do this? Like, ah, la, la, la. you know, I understood, you know, things happen, you know, the, I don't think his intention was to do a crappy job on the car. So uh, I, I live my life like that. I, I set an intention of understanding mm-hmm. people and looking at a bigger picture. You know, I, that common thing, like you go into a store and mm-hmm. I'm sure the person has a really bad day, but you find that when you have this uh, love out there and I, and I'm not like, you know, a priss, but I'm just saying that when you do that, magic happens. People just, you're talking to people's hearts. And, um, and it's just, it's, it's a big lesson. And, uh, yeah, so I guess that's how I would apply it to everyday life. Now, not everybody's intentions are pure. There must be people that are doing this, uh, you know, in the darkened hallways of some government program that don't Mm -hmm. have pure motives, don't have pure intentions to manipulate time and space. Let's talk a little bit about that and what you know. Well, yes. I mean, just uh, there's always the yin and yang about things. Um, There are, um, we've had certain things where we have psychically been blocked from viewing things. Um, That has happened a few times. Um, Sometimes um, some dark, dark forces will come in and, um, I had a I had my first experience about I think six six months ago. Um, we were doing an experiment where it's kind of weird. Um, we were not picking the t- we were doing the session before we picked the target. So that means that we just sat down and did a session, and this is again intention. Our intention was to go into the future, whatever, you know, we pick out of the hat, whatever it is, our subconscious knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. So our intention was to go to whatever the tasking is going to be and then remote view it now. Okay. So we, uh, there were three of us and we did a session. And when I got to a certain point, when you get pretty deep into the session, uh, that little voice in my head that talks to me that we all have, not that I'm schizophrenic, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, the little voice in your head that, you know, is talking your conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed that guy in there uh, started, it didn't sound like me anymore. It was like this deeper voice. And it was, um, you know, tell, you know, a little basic thing like, you know, put your word here, put your word there, that little whisper. And, um and it was uh, like a deep baritone type voice. And I was sort of, it started out very soft, but then it started getting a little louder. And I noticed it started to hijack my session and started telling me what I should be doing in my session. So I got, 
startled by it. And I, um, you know, I just wrote the word break and I took a break from the session and I called up my co, um, viewer and I told him what happened. And he's like, well, you know, you can, um, next time that happens, just write down everything he says. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So every week, uh, so we get this session. So we met up, we had a, a go-to meeting or, you know, Zoom. And the three of us, uh, this is just for practice. So we brought our sessions and then we throw it up on the shared screen and then we talk about our sessions. So we came to the meeting and then it was time to pick the target. So now, after we did our sessions, now we're going to find out what the target was. Um, so he picked the target and it was um, to, oh gosh, I don't remember the wording exact, but it was basically to uh, meet with, uh, you know, an alien being and describe their craft or something like that. So it was definitely something alien. Now, I know that I've talked only about the alien things, but we do tons and tons of targets um, that are kind of boring. You know, they're like a helicopter or a car. And so my examples are the big, exciting ones. And it just happens to be that um, this one was another alien one. And I was kind of, ooh, maybe that guy was, you know, somehow connected to this target. And so, we decided, all three of us, that that night we're going to do another session uh, and now we're going to be informed. So now this is not blind. We actually know what the target is and we're going to find out who this guy is that was talking to me and what what was their purpose. So we're, we all agreed and then we closed out the meeting and I went to bed. I was going to do it in the morning and I had this dream where I felt like I was falling backwards in darkness. So I was kind of falling and I felt um, I was having trouble sleeping. So then when I finally fell asleep, I had this feeling of falling backwards in the dark. And then when I woke up in the morning, I felt drugged. Uh, like like when you are waking up from anesthesia, anesthetics, whatever, um, and um, this horrible headache above my in my eyebrows, and I felt all the heat from my body leave my body. I like actually felt it, and I was like, "What the heck? What happened here?" So I called up the other people that were viewing and the one person she's like oh no nothing happened to me I, I was smoking weed before I went to bed so I was out like the light and I'm like okay okay so and then the second uh the guy he's like yeah I ha I, ha I didn't have the exact but I I also had something he said I think we were visited and I'm like oh my god so that happened that, um, uh, you know, he was feeling like this was not uh, benevolent, that this was a trickster. Um, sometimes we get these tricksters that they want you to think that they're nice, but they're not. Um, so, you know, we do have to be careful uh, with these things. And then, you know, also to be prepared when we're working on uh, uh you know, crimes, cold cases, and missing people, we do tap into um, some not so nice 
uh, you know, not so nice information. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. That's, well, so that can happen. Can you tell if somebody is remote viewing you? Are there things that you pick up on if someone wants to remote view your life? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I've had some things uh, working with the radio show. There are times when I can feel like a bunch of eyes looking at me, but I can't specifically say if I'm imagining it or not. Um, but you know, cause uh, sometimes we'll do it, especially it, it's being a live show. Sometimes I can feel people hearing the show. Uh, Keith and I do a show on Friday nights after midnight and, you know, there are people listening and I sometimes can feel them listening. I know it sounds weird, but, um, that's probably, but in, in terms of actual remote viewing, I don't think I can put my finger on a specific example. I know that some people do claim that they can feel when someone's remote viewing them. And, but you're saying that when you, when you remote view, something can get in the way be, between you and the target. So there's this door that you open and other things, other entities, tricksters, whatever we're going to call them can stick mm -hmm. their foot, can stick their foot in there. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's happened. Uh, several people have expressed that that has happened to them. And, um, you know, uh, I think we had another uh, session where we were, um, I guess the tasking was alien bases on the moon and uh, several people were blocked. Um, they got to the certain point where they felt like they couldn't go further. Um, they were just literally like, block out no no information so wow it, it does happen and and you know the thing you know these are dramatic um, examples but let me also tell you that there's a good side of remote influencing which is uh, this whole other area that isn't very popular but it's remote healing it's where we use remote viewing to help people in in good ways so um, that is also another aspect. Lynn Cannon has a whole protocol mm -hmm. for, um, he, calls, he calls them MedApps, and um, he teaches that for people. And um, it's very cool. And um, so that's my intention is to stay on the, on, uh, the you know, Luke Skywalker side of things. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But there's this yin, this yin and yang to it where... There is the light and there is the dark. Right. And so when you set your intention around mm -hmm. your sessions that, you know, only good comes to me, um, that is also another place of intention. You just kind of have this foundation that um, I just want helpful, useful information that's not going to hurt me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so far, I, that's that's all I'm getting. You know, I'm, I'm just getting helpful information. You know, I'm remembering back to Art Bell. He uh, had a moment where he was encouraging the audience to set their intentions on rain during drought seasons. Yes. It, would yes. you call would you call that a form of remote viewing? Um, no, no, not the kind of remote viewing that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. 
what would you call a moment a whole, like that? Uh, like a group consciousness. Uh, I, uh, Dean Radin does a lot of work with that. That is um, a group consciousness with setting an intention on one thing. And they've mm-hmm. done tons and tons of research on, on that with random um, random generators all around mm. the world. Do you know about that research? Right. I think even, yeah. help me if I'm wrong, regarding 9-11, I think there was a moment right before mm-hmm. 9-11 happened where a random generator did something interesting. Right. So what happened is, I think back in the 70s, maybe, I, I'm not sure the dates, but um what they did was they put these random, I think they're energy generators, right? Random energy, REGs, um, all around the world. They didn't know what was going to happen. They just put them all around the world. And then after 9-11, they decided to uh, look at them and see what, what happened. And they looked at the readings and they found that, um, that, they looked at the before, the middle, and the after, and they noticed that they were recording some spikes that were consistent in all of them all over the world. And with these, they're not sure, like this is the thing that is the unknown, is what are they picking up? Mm-hmm. Some energy, they don't know where, but it is consistent with big, huge events that have happened in in globally. And so everything is consistent. And so they're continuing to do this research on this. You know, when big things happen, they notice that the spikes and that the readings start changing. So uh, something's going on when the collective conscious is going through something. And they also used it in the power of prayer where they, where you get a lot of people together and they're all intention is set on one their focused attention on something and uh, uh, and then you can make things happen. So this collective conscience, it, uh, it, it's hard to quantify as being anything that you can really study. I mean, if you have these REGs set all over the world and you can see spikes and divots and valleys and peaks throughout them, mm-hmm. but as far as actually quantifying them as existing, there's no way to do that, is there? Well, that's what no, the Institute of Noetic Sciences is working on. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have all these really, really good, um, enthusiastic scientists, young, younger people too, um, working on this and studying it and, and all sorts of experiments that, that I'm not sure a lot of the world even knows about what, what these groups are, you know, legitimate, not that other people are not legitimate, but PhDs that you would judge that aren't interested in these kinds of things, but there, there's a whole group of people looking at these. There's the Ryan Institute, which is in North Carolina, John Cruz, who runs that. They're doing um, a lot of PK experiments, you know, um, psychokinetic stuff. Uh, they're just all over the world. They're doing a lot of these things. So it's only a matter of time before there becomes evidence. And um, I feel like, you know, our normal science, 
the way that our science method uh, to do experiments may have to be um, expanded in order to test things that don't fit into a, a normal science method. Right. So over time, we're going to have to kind of expand how we test things because, you know, there's a lot of intangible things. Now, you could remote view a lot of things that would change your perspective entirely, i.e. if you remote viewed something about the birth of Christ, if you remote viewed JFK's assassination, it, it would stand to reason that if every everybody locked in on a target and came back with similar information about a specific event to say, yes, it was true, yes, it wasn't true, or there's more involved with this. Do you have any specifics that have, uh, I guess, upset the apple cart in Michelle's own world? Oh, um, let's see. Gosh, um, something, so basically something that surprised me. Well, I know that you mentioned that you um, remote, remote viewed East SETI Ranch and you came back with some interesting oh, right. information. I would imagine we'll, we'll share that with the audience as well. But, um, you know, as far as any kind of certain event that is questioned in history, it'd be interesting to see what people would, would say about that. But let's let's go more specifically to East SETI Ranch and, and what you targeted there. And if people don't know what East SETI Ranch is, there's a prior episode uh, that you can go back. I think it's probably 10 episodes from this one. And, and you can listen to a field interview, let me live from East SETI Ranch. But um, go ahead and tell people about that moment. Yeah, so I work with John Vivanco. We have a team and we have all sorts of projects that we work on um, from anywhere from uh, working with the FBI to detectives all the way to esoteric targets. Um, we're, we're whatever. And then also uh, corporations and companies have hired us um, to help them with their financials. So we're always getting targets. I get about three or four per week. I have no idea what they are. And so, um, so John will just keep sending us target numbers. We keep doing them. We turn them in and we had, uh, planned that, uh, he was teaching a class at East Eddy, a remote viewing class. And he asked if me and my partner would come and we were like, sure, we'll come. And so that was about, I think, four months in advance. So we're going along, doing our thing, um, doing our sessions. And uh, we get to the ranch and he tells us, by the way, I tasked you guys on East Eddy Ranch in the past four months. And we're like, really? You know, when? What? You know, because he never told us. And he's like, well, you know, let's look at it. So it turned out that we were getting, um, and it was interesting because me and my part, we lived in, I was in Chicago, he lives in California, and uh, we can't see each other's sessions. So we work independently. And um, so we both got very similar information. So some of the things that, some of the data that showed up in our sessions were things like um, blue energy, uh, something called a Merkaba, which is this uh, energetic, they're like uh, triang triangles, 
that one is inverted and one is upright and they spin and they generate energy. And it's something in um, the Jewish, uh, I think there's an ancient aspect of it that comes from ancient Hebrews and healing and, and things that are, I don't know what, um, but it comes from there. Um, we were getting uh, images of subjects that had feline cat-like features and um, what else? Well, let's, uh, uh, hold, hold it right there. So you knew nothing about Bacall or the feline entities prior to remote viewing this? No, no. In fact, because we get, even if I did know mm -hmm. about them, um, he gives us four targets a week. So mm -hmm. there's no way that I would know which one was even about he study. But in this particular case, uh, he and my friend, we had no idea that he was going to even task us on e study. I think he just wanted to do it for fun, just to see what we would get before we, we go, because he was just thinking about practice targets. Mm -hmm. You know, just what what's interesting for them to view. Now, could you be picking up on <clears throat> on their worldview, their belief system, or are you are you able to concentrate this on it being something more physical rather than a worldview? So I am so glad you asked that question because it lets me answer the answer it. So it's all in the tasking and the intention. So in the tasking, it has to be specific. So for example, say we, um, there have been times where we, uh, we actually viewed certain people like Corey Good and um, I don't know if you know, um, right. oh, what's his name? Um, uh, anyway, and so what we do is we put in the tasking that, uh, we make sure that we are not viewing the person's story. We're, we're actually writing the words, the reality of their experience. So we're very careful how, what our intention is and the information that we get. Does that oh, make sense? It does. Okay. Now let's go back. I interrupted okay. you before. So, right. So, so we were getting this this kind of, you know, entities and things like that going on in these sessions. And so we get there and it was, um, so James Gilliland, who runs the place, we showed him the sessions and he was completely blown away. He was like, oh my gosh. He said, we have for many years, when you look out at Mount Adams, because the ranch is right under about 13 miles from um, from Mount Adams, and every night they have a sky watch where you can look out, and there's just all sorts of weird things that happen. But when you look out there, there are these like lights, like light orbs, way out in the mountain that move. And they, at some people were uh, thinking they're cars, some people whatever, but they found out it's nothing. It, it's none of those things. These are some kind of lights that have a blue. Uh, haze to them, which match what we were writing in our sessions. And so what they uh, put together from all the data of the sessions is this has a kind of ancient feel to it. Um, like when they talk about the TV show, Ancient Aliens, and they talk about these um, creatures from the past that kind of helped, you know, in what 
you know, the, the whole aspect of the ancient alien theory. And they believe this is a connection to them. And these Merkabas are actually interdimensional crafts and they're building them out in the mountain and they go through some portal um, because we were getting evidence of a portal in our sessions too. So this information was so incredible that the show Ancient Aliens asked, uh, they did an episode on it. Um, so, and we were on, it was called Transdimensional, Transdimensionals or something like that. So if you want to see it, um, that it was all about this incident. So it was quite, quite amazing because there's just, no, you know, when you understand how remote viewing works, um, you see like, it's incredible, this information. Um, no, and yeah. you'd be curious to know that uh, we're going to do a uh, a remote from that side of Mount Adams that faces Eseti Ranch where these whitish blue lights, mainly whitish little uh, flashes uh, appear, not mm-hmm. only in the tree line, but in the snow line. So you, you, you remote viewed those and you came back with the actual data of experiences, not a, a belief system, which is really encouraging because I was kind of leaning on the fact that these were anomalies that were physically explainable by mainly hikers. And uh, that was kind of one of the conclusions that we, we walked away with last time we were there after mm-hmm. maybe the, the fourth trip there, but not the case. You feel as though this is something paranormal. Right. It's right. We also were, as a, hikers is you know with the lights on their heads is it this is it that um but they have uh, gone out there um and the area where we're we're seeing uh there is not really a place for hikers to be and at certain times of year there are no hiker in fact the roads are closed um especially when there's snow uh, nobody's even allowed to go up there so there's not even i don't think there could be cars there so they eliminated all these ideas that, you know, you could possibly come up with. And, um, and then, and then you have these sessions and then you have lots of people that, um, you know, there's other people that have actually seen these feline things that come to them. And, and, uh, it's, and, and also James feels like he has a connection with them, um, and the Palladians and all these, you know, kind of things there. So it's, you know, it's, gosh, you know, I wish there was more evidence of it, but for me, these are the kinds of things just, I, I can only say that the only way that people can understand how significant this information is, if is if they remote view themselves, then they can understand how it works. But to people that don't remote view or that they think they know what remote viewing is. Um, usually they come back to me and they, they're like, ah, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. It's so fake. But really when you understand that you're completely blind, you have no idea what you're viewing. And then the data that you come up with is so aligned with the question. Um, it's, you know, there are so many times where I'm just like blown away. How did, how did I do that? You know, so, um, and it could be anything, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, cheat, you know, there's no, (laughs) there's no cheating in this. There's no reason to do that. Um, 
So, but I, I, I chant, that's why I do these uh, remote viewing challenges and maybe in the future, uh, we could do a show where, um, or if you'd like, where we can, I could teach people like some basic things and we can have a target and have everybody remote view it. And so they can see what it feels like. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's just call this part one then. Uh, Looking over your website and looking over in particular, uh, one of your websites, youarepsychic.com and the butterfly effect, you, you teach courses on this. This is something that you do periodically and you looks like you just finished up one not too long ago. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that in your 12 week course. Yeah. So, well, I have, it, um, so I shortened it to six weeks. Um, so I have to update that, but what we're doing, I'm training people how to do this. We use zoom meeting with, um, the shared screen. So I have, uh, students that come from all over, the world actually, and they join in the class. And each class, we um, kind of progress. We start in the beginning, um, the, um, talking about where remote viewing comes from and and what it is, and 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 then uh, and then we jump right in um, because I think that the best way to learn is to actually do it. So there's not a lot of me talking except mm-hmm. for explaining the next step. And then we just jump in and we start remote viewing. And um, it, it's just, uh, it's kind of like each layer goes on top of each other. So you work your way up. And I'm really looking for a team. I want to find a team that we can work on projects where we can actually, because I do get paid. Um, and I'd like to find team of the greatest people. And when I say greatest people, I mean people that, are willing to practice all the time because it's not easy to practice. Um, it doesn't mean that they always have to have um, always correct information or always do it, it perfect, but I just want people to be enthusiastic and, um, you know, stick to the commitment of it. And it's really hard to find people like that because it is uh, a hard, tedious thing to keep doing um, but it is very, very rewarding, especially when you're, you know, finding missing people and you help the families. And um, and then also, if you're talking about money, uh, you have companies that hire us and we help them make lots of money, which helps us make money, <laughs> which is good. Right. And um, <laughs> and there's also benefits, personal benefits. You know, I've been tasked with um, somebody gave me. What foods? What foods should Michelle stay away from? And I did a you know I did a session on that. So, um, so you can do personal lost things is really big. Um, helping people find jewelry and keys and treasures and um, there's just it's endless. Anything you have a question about, you can remote view and get an answer. Oh. Yeah, I think that's in one of your slug lines here on the website. It says find lost stuff. And I'm like, well, that's pretty basic. Yeah. You know, everybody's got something that's been lost, be it, uh, you know, a pair of keys to uh, a pair of children. I mean, everything goes yeah, missing. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. So when's your absolutely. next course? I'm going to start it after the holidays in January. Okay. Um, so people can email me if they're interested. Um, 
email me to, uh, I'll say M-I-C-H-721 at gmail.com. Okay. Um, and I'm working on putting up a flyer uh, for that. Mm-hmm. Has that helped you get um, guests for the show? Have you used this in order to uh, lock down a guest or maybe even push back a guest that wasn't exactly um, telling the whole story? Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, we, we, I did have a student in one of my classes that is a paranormal, inv- or they were all actually, I recall, they're all paranormal investigators and they wanted to use remote viewing to find the back stories of some of these cases when they go into a haunted house and uh you know something appears to them they can remote view to find the backstory of what happened here mm-hmm. so and it helps them with their investigation so i can't even imagine what you can't use remote viewing for it's um pretty cool you can remote view the future like where am i going to be in two months you know like what's you know, what's going to happen in two months or, um, it's, you know, it's very cool. Is this something that you think you can pass on to your, your children, or is it something that has been passed on to you, you know, through genetics? Um, it's, I, well, I don't believe it's a gen. I think everyone can do it. Everyone can do it. Um, it's just, somebody, you know, some people must be better at it than others and genetically predisposed to being an incredible yeah i i i don't believe i think every it's all about um your enthusiasm your passion you're willing to do it to learn it um i think we all have it it Mm -hmm. you know it's that like we're talking about waking up it's a -hmm. lot of people just go through their life and they miss you know, they miss their intuitive moment or they don't like the word intuition or psychic. They like, you know, some people that are in, you know, what do they call it? Corporate world and they're not very spiritual. If you say to them, what's your gut feeling? Uh, They can answer that. They'll be okay with that. What's your gut feeling? They're okay Mm -hmm. with that. But what are they, what are we really saying? What's your gut feeling? Mm -hmm. You know, what is that really? If you think about it, your gut feeling is, well, what we talk about, your nervous system, that's where our senses come from. Your gut feeling is, that's everything we're using when we're remote viewing or doing anything psychic. So everybody has a gut feeling. And so if you have a gut feeling, you can remote view. It's that simple. And women don't do it better than men. That's not where the term women's intuition came from. No, I, I mean, no, I don't think. No, I, I, I pretty much feel like um, I don't think there's like a, I think men and women do it, you know, uh, equally pretty mm-hmm. much. I think that it's more your personality um, your personality kind of comes out in your session. So, um, for example, uh, Deborah, my best friend, she, uh, so if I receive an email from her, it is a novel because she just, she, that's how she is. That's how she talks. Um, my style is I get to the point quick, maybe even too quick, you know? So my emails are like two sentences and hers are like a novel. So when we both remote view, that's pretty much how we remote view. Mm -hmm. She can have 22 pages 
in her remote viewing where I would have 10. <laughs> right. So, um, so it's, and there's nothing wrong. It's just, you know, that comes out in remote viewing, um, how you are. If you're somebody who is a doctor, your remote viewing will be affected because that is what you're familiar with. So you will, um, you know, your session may have more terms and vocabulary, um, or you may see something from that perspective. Uh, we also found that like people that are introverted, when we uh, set up a practice target and say it's um, at some kind of public place, usually those people don't notice the people. They don't get the subjects in their session. But people that are extroverted always get to the people first. You know, they're like, ah, oh, there's tons of subjects at the location. Um, so those kinds of things will uh, affect your session. So it's really good to have a team because um, then you can get more of a 3D image of what it is. Right. And, uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I want to thank uh, you for coming on the air, Michelle Freed. And again, people can get in touch with you. Uh, through the email that you already listed or through youarepsychic.com, the International School of Clairvoyance. It's got the Psychic Butterflies, their logo there, so you won't miss that. And um, I want to thank you for coming on here. Before I let you go, you mentioned that you have an evening show on uh, with Keith. Is that on a weekly yeah. basis? Yeah. Um, well, not every week, um, but it's called, it's right after midnight in the desert. Mm -hmm. Uh, we do on Friday nights and after show, which is really informal. We have, we encourage people to call us. We talk about everything and including the, what goes on behind the scenes at midnight in the desert. Uh, so it's a really fun show. And if okay. you can't sleep, you know, stay up. And the UR Psychic uh, is my friend Deborah's website, uh, mm -hmm. and mine is the Butterfly Effect Center dot com. That one, that one's mine. Um, and then okay. the uh, UR Psychic is hers. So. Okay, perfect. All right. Thank you again so much for uh, coming on the air with us, and um, I'll be seeing you in a couple weeks. Yes, we are excited to have you on our show. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. All right. That again was Michelle Freed and what she's alluding to at the back end of the interview about being on midnight in the desert. That is a true statement that will be coming up on November 21st from 9 p.m. to midnight on, I guess that's probably Pacific Standard Time on the Dark Matter Digital Network. And that, again, is Midnight in the Desert with Darkness Dave Schrader. So we were we did a show uh, previous on his podcast, Darkness Radio, with Tim Dennis. And um, Dave had to bow out at the last minute due to an emergency. So we're going to make up for that and do a live show with Darkness Dave. Hopefully get into some more uh, recent audio and video from the Al Moon Lab. That's the discussion and the, I guess, the connective tissue of the supernatural and paranormal to all of this. All right. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember, can't do it without you at patreon.com forward slash strangebrow radio. We put a lot of new content up there. In fact, I spent the better part of the last week 
putting up new videos and audio, so for very little money, you can keep this pirate ship afloat, as Adam Carolla says. So we will uh, look for you at patreon.com and some interesting stuff coming up in 2020 as well. Also, the Golden Flute Award. Oh, yes. Stay tuned for that. All right, that's it. As always, I will see you in the trees.